Joseph. Trouble? It's stewardship time again. And a man named George Bailey doesn't want to give to his church. Oh, these humans. Don't they know they don't own a thing? That God owns it all? When will they learn? Most of them have the IQ of a rabbit. I think we should send someone down. All right, if you think it will help. How bad is it? Just watch. You'll see. Hello. Oh, hello, Pastor. Yes, we know that in-gathering Sunday is this week. No, we haven't prayed about our yearly pledge just yet, but I'm sure we will by Sunday. That's the, that's the Pastor. Let me talk to him. Hello, Pastor. What's the idea of calling here at night? Uh, shouldn't you be writing a sermon or something? Uh, something better to George. do than call us here at night and oh, ask George. for money? No, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm tired of you George. people. Let me, let me, let me be. Now listen, just quit uh, calling here. It's all I gotta say. Just quit calling here for money. No more again. I'm not gonna give you a dime as far George. as I'm concerned. Oh, all right. Hello, Pastor. I, I want to apologize. Hello. Hello. Why do we have to? Tithe anyway. All the church ever asked for is our money. Why can't we be Hindus or Buddhists? All they have to do is sell flowers at the airport and they're done with it. George, what's wrong? Well, what is it wrong? I barely make enough to get by. The church asked for our money. Daddy, why are we Christians? I don't know. Ask your mother. Now, Uncle Billy, you tithe, right? I do. Tell me why. Uh, tell me why you tithe, oh, Uncle well, Billy. It, 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 it's just what God requires. I, I try to tithe. Well, uh, now here's why would God give me money and then uh, tell me to give it right back uh, to oh, him? All I oh. know is that it's what oh. God says to do, and I try to be faithful. No, 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 no. Give me a reason, Uncle Billy. You got to tell me why I, I should tithe. I, I, I can't talk to you anymore, George. You, you've been here for hours. You got me a reason, you silly, stupid old fool. No. Whoa, 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 why should I do it now? I, I've got money. If I have to tithe, you got to tell me why. I, I was. Oh, I wanted an entertainment center for Christmas, a plasma screen, but I'm not going to get one now because I have to give money to the church. Stupid cat, get out. <laughs> yeah, he's bad off, all right. I was thinking, we could show him what life would be like if no one ever gave to the church. A world without tithing? No stewardship? That's the idea. What do you think? I like it! Let's do it! Show George Bailey what the world would be like if no one ever gave money to the church. Thank goodness you're here. Take me to the church right now. What? Uh, you know where the church uh, up on Mulholland. You know where it is. Come on, let's go. All right, all right. Wait, what, what church on Mulholland? All right, fine, fine. Uh, I'm sorry, George. There's no church. People stopped giving, so they sold it to the mortuary company. Why? Well, yeah. See, without sacrificial giving. Look, uh, oh. they, did, they didn't need my money. They, they had enough without money. I, no, I, the money's not for look, them. I'm not going to do it, Clarence. I'm not going to. Why don't you just Let's... go pray? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Go pray somewhere. Oh. 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 There's got to be an easier way to get these people to give. Oh. God. Take me back to my wife and kids. Dear God, please. Please. I want to give again. Bedford Falls. Hooray! Oh, it's, it's in gathering Sunday. I, I didn't miss it. Oh, 
Happy and Gathering Sunday! Happy and Gathering Sunday, George! George! Oh, George! Oh, Mary! Oh, Mary, George. I miss you so much. I came George. back. Mary! We're gonna tithe. Oh, we're gonna tithe, Mary. We're really gonna tithe. We're gonna do it right now, yeah? Oh, I love you so much. George, come down. All right. Come on, Susan. Come on, Chris. Oh, George. See, see, look at this. This is how much money I'm pledging for the coming year. I'm telling you, I was only gonna give 10%. Now I've decided to do 15. It was Mary's idea. I'm telling you, the blessings are gonna flow, George. You're gonna find out. I've been so blessed just from all this giving. Oh, look, Daddy. Preacher says every time a bell rings, a church makes their budget. That's right. That's right. I'll obey God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Series called. Uh in God we trust. Really. And, and the focus of the series is in a couple of areas that I think are so critical for us to grow in our trust in God and with God. And it's one of those, is a couple of areas where, well, I think it's easy to say we trust God until we really come right down to it. One of those, we talked about politics last year, or last week, and, and the whole idea there was that we had the elections coming up, and I think sometimes we, if, if our people, quote, don't win, and sometimes the church has this idea of who God's candidates are. If they don't win, then well, where's God? Instead of, can we trust him with what takes place? And then the second area is prayer. A lot of people say we trust God, but when it comes to prayer, we either give up too quickly, or if he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want, or in the way that we want, or in the time frame that we desire, okay, where's God? And that really comes down to a trust issue as well. And then the other biggie is, well, finances and money. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that today. And I want to talk about your money, your giving. That's a really sensitive subject, isn't it? And that's why I decided today I'm not going to stand up and preach, but I think I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to teach. Kind of take a little more casual approach and just kind of talk with you as opposed to making you feel like I'm talking at you. And if I'm sitting down, it might be just a little more comfortable for people to receive. Now, <clears throat> I thought of this this week, believe me. Some of you are thinking, oh, God, Terry. I just brought a friend today, first time. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, Creekside, our pastor, this is a church that never talks about money, hardly ever. Oh, you really blew it today, pastor. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sorry about that. But anytime I do it, there's always the possibility and potential for new people to come and visit. But this is what I've got to believe. It's God led your friend here probably even more than you did. 
And depending on, you know, where their heart is and how open and receptive are, they are, it's very possible that God could speak to them today through a message like this that makes so many of us nervous because this is what I know. God is so much larger than anything I say or anything that I do. So I, I just pray that God might speak uh, to your friend today if you brought somebody. Because it's interesting to me that you give me the, the freedom, those of you who call Creekside your home, you come and you give me the freedom to uh, speak into, challenge, direct and guide from God's word about areas like, well, your family, your marriage, how to be a good employ, uh, employee or employer, how to be a person of character. Yeah, even you'll come and listen to when I talk about sexuality. But it's always interesting how uncomfortable we get when it comes to talking about money and giving and what you do with what God's blessed you with. It often feels very different in the room. A lot of times some of the subjects that I'll talk about that are kind of difficult or tough, there's a nervousness in the room. When I talk about giving and money, well, there's sometimes an anxiety and or a little bit of hostility uh, that it can almost be palatable sometimes. And I understand that because some of you might say, well, you know, the church, that's all I ever talk about is money. But do we? Uh, no, we really don't. Now, there's comments that I make every now and again that maybe in the, talk, in the course of a 35, 40-minute talk, you may hone in on that. But I looked over it, and I've only done uh, four series in 19, almost 19 years of being at Creekside on money. And out of those four series, probably only five of those talks, out of maybe 20 talks, focused actually on giving. So to say that our church talks about wanting or asking for, or, you know, say we want money... That's definitely a misnomer here. And I do understand some of the hesitancy and the resistance to that because some of us have seen the way preachers do it on TV. And then we've seen the aftermath of how they live, what they buy, what they do with it, or that they really weren't praying over those prayer requests that came in with the checks. They were simply taking the checks out and throwing the other stuff away. I understand that, and unfortunately, we have to live with that. But we're not that kind of church. We don't talk about money a lot, but it is an important thing. And we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. So, now you're saying, a couple of weeks? Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to deal with this head on uh, for a couple of weeks. And I'm kind of giving you a heads up, I guess, uh, just in case you don't want to come back. <laughs> but let me challenge you. Most people probably that wouldn't want to come back, um, I'd go as far as to say it could be because maybe they're selfish. Um, maybe they're fearful. Or maybe they're sinful. Because a lot of us will come and we want to hear the steak and potatoes or the dessert type of talks that uh, we think build us or challenge us or bring joy to our lives. Uh, but then we come to a time like this, we say, well, I really want to hear that. When the truth is, what it really is, is this is what I would call the other kind of stuff. This is the vegetable talks. This is the 
let's have some good old broccoli and cauliflower and spinach. Some of those things that, you know, aren't going to really entice our taste buds, but we know we need them to grow. And loved ones, this is, this is one of those talks. See, remember this. Some of you may not know this, but Jesus talked about not money so much, but money and possessions. Again, not like the TV preachers where he was just trying to get it in to perpetuate his ministry, but he understood that our possessions can so easily possess us if we're not careful. Whether it was first century, second century, or the 21st century, our possessions can quickly come and possess us. As a matter of fact, this is what he said. He said, where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. So I want to talk about that today in the next couple of weeks. Because I don't want us to ever be a church. I don't want us to be people. I don't want us to be individuals who ever get possessed by our possessions. And we never forget the place that God plays in every area of our life. That he is the Lord, the kurios, the leader over every area. And until we come to grips with that, he's really not the Lord of any area if he doesn't have every area. And I'll go as far as to say that there are probably people sitting in this room, the reason you don't have some freedom spiritually, the reason you don't have some freedom financially is because you've tried to compartmentalize God and begin to say, eh, this area isn't as important. And yet Jesus talked about this area more than he ever talked about heaven and hell combined. Because I believe he understood there's two areas where we will experience our greatest heaven and our greatest hell on earth. And that's in our marital relationship and with our finances. So let's get to it. Let's go at it. I want us to turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's a Page 1064, 1064 in my Bible. It's probably different from yours. But it's, if you go to the book of Matthew, if you know where Matthew is, it's just a few minor prophets back to the left. And I want to talk about from the book of Habakkuk. Because it's a book about handling evil, tough times. Times that weren't getting any better for them. They were actually getting worse. They were times of war, uh, economic depression, downturns, and disasters. And Habakkuk, he starts in the valley in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, God takes him up to the tower. And it's amazing that from the tower, he gets incredible perspective. Here's God. Gets a vision from God. And God says, write it down. And then by the time he gets to chapter 3 and what we're going to read in just a moment, he's on the mountaintop. Now, I think we could all agree if we look at the history of the United States, the first 20th century of the United States and the world, it, it was filled with pretty evil times pretty difficult times, pretty depressed times. From the world wars to the, to the economic depression that was experienced in the 20s, 30s, into the 40s. Then in the late part of the 20th century, the second half, there were times of peace and great prosperity, and we were loving those. And then we moved into the 21st century, and very quickly, we moved into what, obviously, some, some evil times. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to get worse. I don't know if it's going to get better. I'm pretty much an eternal optimist, but I'm also a realist. I can deal with both. And I think that's why Habakkuk might have some things 
to say to us? Because I understand that the happenings in the world economically, um, uh, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, they're often cyclical worldwide. They're cyclical nationally. And isn't that true pretty much in your life? You know, live for very long and you're going to experience some difficult times, potentially even evil times. So as you come to Habakkuk 3, you're going to see that by the time we get to the end that we're reading today, it's a beautiful lyrical ending. It's the song of the prophet where he basically is saying it is possible to have a life that is maintaining your joy even in the midst of things that are going wrong nationally and around you and in your life. And at those times when everything seems to be going south and wrong, your prayers don't seem to be getting answered, and you're wondering where God is, he says, let me help you. Because he's the one that ultimately we get to trust. So I want you to look at Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Verse 18 says, yet, I will, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Why? Well, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. Everything else is going south. I know where to go to get strength. He makes my feet like the uh, feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Some of your translations may say mountaintops. And this is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Can you imagine making a song like that and being able to sing that every day? See, Habakkuk is sharing here how he's experiencing joy in this downtime. In this text, he's describing, listen, we don't understand this, but he's describing some serious issues, economic downturn and upheaval. He's saying this, there's, there's no figs, there's no grapes, there's no olives, there's no grain on the branches to be able to partake of. They're not producing anything. See, that's what they ate. That's what they produced. That's what they used to harvest to, well, to promote wealth and to get wealthier, to experience wealth or to have money. They, they had currency, but these four things, along with sheep and cattle, were the keys to their personal portfolio. So his description here of no figs, no grapes, no olives, no grain. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a complete economic downturn. He's talking about everything is going south, man. The portfolio is getting shredded. And Habakkuk is saying, so how do we face these times? And I would say, you know what? It's true in America, maybe in, in a lot of our lives. We're facing a little bit of economic squeeze. So this really does become kind of a relevant question. He's talking of a time, no harvest. Now, as he lists out all these things, he's kind of alluding to a principle in the scriptures of first fruits, where God teaches his people early on to give the first fruits of the harvest to God. For us, that would mean like our charitable giving to the ministry and to help the poor and to the church. And he's bringing up this possibility that, God, there's no harvest at all. There's economic scarcity. What are we going to do? And so I want to look at, as he talks about, kind of this alludes to this first fruit principle. Um, how does that 
work? What's he saying? And so if you would, take your Bible and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's the fifth book of the Bible. This is where it begins to give just a little bit of background. One of the places in the Old Testament where it begins to give the background to the first fruits. Now, some of you are thinking, and this is the argument that we always deal with when it comes to giving and everything. Well, Pastor, we're a part of the New Testament, and you're talking about the Old Testament. Well, there's principles that are easily distilled from the Old Testament to learn from. But every principle that I share with you from the Old Testament today is clearly spelled out in the New Testament. So hang on. I'll I'll get to those. But let's read. Follow along with me if you would. uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. He says, now, when you have entered, he's speaking to the people. They're on the precipice of the promised land, getting ready to move in. When you've entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you've taken possession of it and you've settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land of the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. That would be like saying go to the church, go to the temple. And say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers, forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Armenian. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and he lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. Moses is writing this and what he's doing is is he's, he's reiterating what God has done for them. He's giving a testimony, reminding of the people. He says, don't ever forget what God's done. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us into this place. He brought us in. He gave it a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And so now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Now from here, I just want to give a couple principles, a few principles have to do with first fruits and how do we deal with these tough times? The first thing you'll see is, is he says, listen, give sacrificially, not just from your surplus. Note verse two, it says this, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and then put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name, verse two and three. Now, if you were a farmer, all of your economic gain came during the harvest time. You would have planted, you would have watered, you would have taken care of the soil, watched over it, and then there would have been this season of the harvest that probably would have lasted for two or three weeks, and you would have brought everything in. And it's from that two or three weeks that you would have said, well, this is how much I profited and how much I made for the year. And and now most of you here are not farmers. Probably very few of you farm at all. Uh, But but there could be a few similarities, a couple corollaries that I believe that we can uh, take in and apply to our lives. Because a lot of us here, we really don't know the full uh, economic stream that we're going to experience during the course of the year. For some of us, we don't know how our investments will perform. For others, uh, we don't know what our year-end or mid-quarter bonuses are going to be. Uh, We've got contracts out there that we're waiting on that uh, we're hoping people will uh, accept. 
but we don't know if they are. For others of us, we have sales calls out there we know we still got to make, and we're hoping that they'll yield some fruit, but we don't know how much or when or if. So, so like a farmer, we're not exactly sure, a lot of us, how much we'll make uh, in this year. So we would have a tendency as Americans to say, well, because I don't know that, I'm going to wait till the very end, and I see how much I make that I'm going to give. Now, God doesn't really operate that way. Because he says, I, I, I want trust. I want to know that you're going to trust me. So he says to his people at this time, I want you to go out at the beginning of the harvest, not at the end, but the beginning of the harvest, and I want you to take the best. I want you to take the first fruits and give them to me. Well, why does he do that? Because I think God knows people back in the 2,000, 3,000 years ago, first century and the 21st century. He knows how we generally operate. We have a tendency to hang on pretty tight to stuff. And if we don't give at the beginning, we're going to have a tendency to give God what? From our surplus. What's the surplus, you say? Well, that's the surplus is what you can afford to give without it ever actually affecting your life. Without there ever being any sacrifice. I'll pay all my bills. I'll do all the things that I want to do. I'll go to all the places I want to go. I'll spend all the money that I want to spend. And then I'll give God the pittance, the leftovers, the surplus. The guy says, I, I don't want you to operate. I want you to give me the first, the best. Not the leftovers, not the surplus. I'm always surprised when I hear about the economic stress of people. And then you begin to listen closely and I hear all the things that they do. They go here, they go there, they eat out this many times and spend money on this. And then they wonder why they don't have any money. And then I've heard, well, you know, Pastor, I really do want to give. I do want to do what God wants me to. But I don't have any money. And I've heard all the stuff that they do, and I go, yeah, I can understand why. See, God doesn't want us giving from the surplus, from the leftovers. Now, I want you to see how this works in difficult times. Because, see, in, in good times, see, we make money. We have, these, we have these economic streams that are consistent. And we, it's easy to give then, isn't it? Because we can, when, when things are going good, we can be giving and not really even feel it. And we can still do a lot of the things that we want to do, buy a lot of the things we want to buy, go to a lot of the places that we want to go. But what happens is, is then we come into a time like this, everything changes. Now, obviously, it should. I mean, if, you're, if your economic stream shrinks and gets squeezed, then obviously giving and all those other things will too. But a lot of people, because they haven't understood this principle of the first fruits, uh, the first thing that goes is, God, is giving to God. And instead of changing and working on areas and learning how to manage and steward their resources, they say, I'm not going to give in scarcity. But if you really learn how to give in your surplus, ultimately, hopefully, you'll learn how to give 
in the midst of scarcity. And again, you'll say, well, Terry, <clears throat> again, you know, you're, you're talking about Old Testament stuff. Oh, okay, well, I, I'll give you that, but let's go to the New Testament then. Let's see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or 1 through 6. He says this, and now, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> excuse me, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, which was famine. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. You see that? The balance of joy and poverty come together. They dovetail to do what? They weld up into rich generosity. And he says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. They dug deeper, went further than they ever thought they could, or further than Paul thought they could. And he says, and they did this entirely on their own. Get this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Can you imagine that? You know what, Pastor, we just want to give as much as we can, so would you just take another offering or receive another offering or something? I don't think that's probably happened in too many churches. But he says here it did. Because something welled up within them. Can I tell you what I think it is? I, I, I think you'll find it in the last statement there. And they exceeded our expectations. Why? Because they gave themselves first of all. See, the first fruits of the first fruit was themselves. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will and the grace of God, also to us. Wow. Wow. I've been reading the scriptures. You know, you know I go through the Bible and the journaling program and all that. And for whatever reason, the last, probably last month or so, um, just a lot of verses that I've probably read, I don't know how many times, have kind of leapt off the page. They just leaped off the page. And I go, I can't ever remember reading that before. And one of those is, is a scripture in Proverbs 24, verse 27. It says this, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. It got my attention because what, what Solomon is probably saying there is, listen, don't worry about your house. Live in the tent that you're in and take care of your fields. Get your priorities right. Don't look for the bigger and the better. And don't go for the goodies until you take care of the needs. Because once you get the needs taken care of, then everything else will come later. I thought, wow, that's really true. And that is so un-American because now we live in a culture that basically says, get what you want when you want it. Take care of your needs, and hopefully the necessities will come. No, we have it, we really have it reversed. It was fun. Trunk or treat uh, uh, two weeks ago, and we had a great time, and a lot of you were there, and I like to go around and meet people, and I love going up to little kids and see what kind of pastoral influence and leverage I have, because I walk up to them, and I show this big hand, and I say, would you just mind if I grabbed a handful of candy? And these little kids kind of look at me like some are about ready to cry, you know, like, oh my, no, I can't, you know, or it's the pastor, I can't say no, or some of them just go, no. So I really don't, I don't have a lot of influence. And I just, I'm just kidding, rustle their, you know, take their mask off or something. And, but I have a lot of fun doing that. And a lot of kids go, no, 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 no. I wonder where adults learned that. <clears throat> um, or I wonder where the kids learned it, maybe. Uh, 
But there was this one little kid that showed up. His name is Zachary, seven years old. And, and I guess I can't remember exactly how it goes, but someone or somewhere, I think a trunk, or we were running out of candy because of all the people. And little Zachary goes, here's mine. Dumps it out. Where does, where does someone learn that? And as I was told that story, I thought, God, give me that kind of heart. Now listen, uh, hear me. I, I don't believe that, you know, you, you give your last dollar unless God tells you to. I'm not one of those guys that says, give everything and don't worry about it. We have to be discerning and smart. But there's a heart there. A little kid in his candy. Halloween, trick-or-treat, sweet tooth. Here, take mine. I suppose, you know why you can do that? Because you know you never, it wasn't yours in the first place. And you know somehow or some way you're going to get more. And I wonder if Christ's followers shouldn't live that way with God. The one that we say we trust, really. Do we really believe that he's the one? that's going to provide for us. And so we can continually give over to him what he's blessed us with. So the first thing we got to do is give sacrificially, not out of the surplus. The second thing is we give joyfully, but not out of duty. And this also comes from the Deuteronomy passage, as you read there in verses 2 through 4. It's in your notes. We already read it, but I'll read it again. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for his name. The priest shall take the basket from your hand, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, declare what? Now note here, they're not allowed to kind of do what we do, is just kind of come and sit and drop the money in the basket. They had to come forward and take it to the priest. And then the priest would take the basket from them. And then you know what the people would do? The people would give a testimony to the grace of God. And it would sound something like this, as Moses says, you know, God, here's my, here's my best, here's my goods, my first fruits. I labored for this, but the only reason that I get anything from this land is we were stuck in slavery in Egypt. But your right hand came, your strong arms come and embraced your people and you brought us out. You released us. You redeemed us and brought us back from the slavery of Egypt. You delivered us out of that mess and brought us to this beautiful, bountiful land. What an act of grace, God. I owe so much to you. Here's my first fruits. You see what's taking place there? All of their giving was tied and tethered to the grace of God, the goodness of God. It wasn't about obligation once they got their heart right. It was about God. How could I do anything else but remember you? And if we allow loved ones, this kind of stuff, to drill deeply into our hearts and lives and understand that everything that we have from him is a gift, it'll change the way we see how we deal with our giving. Now again, some of you are Bible scholars. You feel like you kind of got some pretty good insight, and you're going to say, well, Pastor, you know what? I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a farmer. 
And, and by golly, I work really hard for my money, so how in the world does this relate to me? First of all, you really got to understand that everything you have really isn't yours. You're going to die someday, and it's going to go somewhere, but you're not going to take it with you. That's why we're called stewards during our lifetime. Now, let me just really be un-American for a couple of minutes. Because we Americans, we have this idea that it's ours, and we're the independent people. We are really kind of exalted. And, and we are. We're independent, and we do a lot of good things. But would you just consider for a second, because people say, well, it's all mine. I mean, this is my talents. My, my talents got me this. Okay, I'll agree with you to some degree, but who gave you those talents? Well, you know, God probably gave me a little bit of them, but I've, you've honed them, yeah, but, but, but they, they're systemic to God. He graced you with those. Well, my health. I take good care of myself, and you know, I've been able to develop and, and do all these things. And Yes. But who gives you your breath every day? And, you know, if God says it's appointed for man to die once, and maybe someday that's it. When God says your time is up, when the expiration date on your life is gone, that's it. It had nothing to do with you. Well, but I've worked really hard, man. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, I don't know how many people really do that. I think we all work hard. Some do that. But, you know, ultimately, it's because of where God has placed you. I was golfing recently, beautiful day. Yeah, I think it was the end of October. And I was just out there literally on the course, and I was thinking, God, this is so beautiful. How can I be so fortunate? I just love this. I'm so blessed. My life is good. Got troubles, got trials, but... Man, I live in, I live in America, and, and and literally, as I was sitting there, as I was, um, as, as I was just sitting there, they're standing there, just walking and thinking of this. I go, how fortunate am I? My awe quotient was just going through the sky, and looking around, and 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 God didn't chastise me; He just reminded me. Acts seventeen twenty six says this: that God has placed every one of us where you are in this time, in this place, in this season. Nobody is sitting here because you chose to. God placed you here. And as much as I was experiencing the awe and the joy of everything, he reminded me, you have great privilege. But with that privilege comes great responsibility. Soak it up. Enjoy it. But be a steward of it. That's why as a church, even as a pastor, I, I consistently challenge us to make sure that we're reaching our community, that we don't just become so in love with what God's done here and what he's doing that we forget about the people out there. Because we have a responsibility. See, I often think, see, you, some of us think, well, you know, Terry, I've, I've done it, man. I, Paul, I've done it. He says, listen, you know what? If, if you were born in India, in a lot of parts of India, I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how hard you work. In most places of India, you'd still be poor. And it's only God's grace that we've been blessed in this time, in this season, to live here in these United States. 
and that we leverage loved ones, that privilege to use it to bless others. See, it's so important to connect the grace of God with our giving. We never forget that. Because it becomes ultimately a heart issue. Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew 19. Let me, let me read it to you. It's a familiar passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus is, is talking. And he, and he says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, but where thieves do not break in and they won't steal. Why? Because for where your heart and your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, why does Jesus tie treasures and heart together, inward and outward? Because he's saying that, you know what, whatever your heart most treasures, well, that's where your money will go most effortlessly. Yeah, you'll most joyfully spend money where your heart most treasures. Isn't that true? We can spend money in places and not even think about it. Yeah, but then you come to church and, you know, five bucks. Are you kidding me? To God, he's got a cow of a thousand yells. That's not about God needing the money. It's about you not being possessed by possessions. Take, for instance, let's say you're a football fan. The Raiders are about today. They're going to be on TV. They're on TV today for the first time in I don't know how many decades. Okay, about a year. <laughs> they have the opportunity today to land, in the, uh, to land and to enter into the land of the unknown, which is maybe end up today with a winning record. So let's say, and we have more Raider fans in here than good people. That I know. <laughs> but let's just say you're a consummate Raider fan. And you're excited. Terry, hurry up and get done. I've just decided. I've got a few bucks in my wallet. I want to go see the Raiders. And so you'll leave here and you'll go say, I'm going to go drop a couple hundred bucks on Raiders tickets. And then you get there. You are so excited because finally, winning record. And you're sitting there with your family and you're going, hey, Give me some hot dogs and give me some Cokes. And give me some of those souvenirs. Pretty soon you're sitting there with the big hand up there, the number one and the Raider regalia, you know. And by the time you're done, man, you've dropped a few hundred bucks. But you wouldn't have even thought about it because I'm part of the Raider nation. Where your heart is or where your treasure is, your heart follows. Now, let me, oh, let me crowd you a little further. This is pretty encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> this is how you know where your heart trusts in God, really, or whether your heart is just kind of an impersonal, distant experience, and you begin to feel like, yeah, I'll write a check. Yeah, I've got to give money to help the church or to help the needy or to give to missions. You really haven't experienced the grace of God if that's the heart of it. See, when you know that all gifts, all grace comes from him and that without him, you would be lost and that he really loves you, giving will never be an issue. 
you will be able to do it more fully, more often, with more joy. Because you'll remember that. You'll tie it to the testimony of what God's done for you. Again, let's go to the New Testament. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. You've experienced. You felt it. And, and, and though he was so rich in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poorness and poverty you become rich. See, he's saying to this poor church, you're limited in your resources, but you gave out of a sincere love because you knew. You didn't just know about, but you knew. You experienced the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not laying down the law telling you what to do. I'm simply over giving you opportunities to show your love in response to his grace. And the sincerity of your giving really is connected to the sincerity of your relationship to God. People don't like that. I'm not saying it, loved ones. It's what the Bible says. Because this is what I know. We can go spend two, three, four hundred dollars a week, I mean a month, on going out to eat. And then we say, I don't have anything for God. This area will show your relationship, whether it's real or it's impersonal. If I can't give sacrificially and joyfully, it probably means there's something wrong with my relationship with God. And we don't like to break it down that easily. But it's true. That's what the Bible says. And the last thing is graciously and trust. Give graciously and trust, not begrudgingly. Let's, let's go back to Habakkuk real quick. We'll finish there. Habakkuk is saying here that it's, if, if, if there's no first fruits, there's no harvest to speak of. That's what he's experiencing. A time when God really didn't seem to be providing protection from the enemies that were coming in. And that happens throughout all of history and to all of his people. See, don't we understand, loved ones, that, that there is evil all around us? There's evil people that come upon us. You study scripture and you see and God does use it. I don't say that God says, I'm going to do this and that, and I'm going to make people's life miserable to teach them. Uh, but, but there are times that when that happens, he wants to teach us through it. I say this often to Creeksiders, but, I, but a lot of people don't pick this up. And it's because we really are enveloped and engulfed in an Americano Christianity. And it basically says this. If I give a few bucks, or if I give a lot of bucks, if I go to church regularly, if I, if I pray fairly consistently, then God's kind of indebted to me. I shouldn't experience any problems. God forbid that anybody in my family or myself should come down with cancer. God forbid that I should lose a child. God forbid that I should have a house going to foreclosure. God forbid anything should, I mean, that's how most of us really think. We wouldn't say it until it happens. Why does that happen? I believe it happens because of two reasons. Number one, we either watch, watch a lot of Christian TV, or number two, 
we really don't know what the Bible says. Because you can't get it in the Bible where God promises a life of ease and prosperity. He promises to meet our needs. He promises to bless us. But it's not exactly the way the Americans believe it. You see, look around the world, loved ones. If you know anything about what's going on around the world, can I tell you what's taking place? There are Christians all over the world that have nothing compared to what we do. They are, a lot of them are starving. And then other places in the world, there are a lot of Christians that are being persecuted and losing their life for what we believe. And so we begin to get a little bit upset because we can't do some of the things that we want to do or we experience some of the difficulties that we experience as Americans. I think we shouldn't. So what does Habakkuk say? What hope does he give us? Well, let's read it again. I don't have any fig trees that are budding. I don't have any grapes on the vines. I don't have any olive crops. They're all failing. They're not producing any food. There's no sheep in the pen, cattle in the stalls. This is his answer. Yet I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to be joyful in God, my Savior. Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to get onto the heights. See, it's not about the circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks for the circumstances, but what we have to do is to learn to leverage the circumstances to say, God, I'm going to find you. I'm going to see you in them, and I'm going to trust you because you're my Savior. You've forgiven my past sins. You've delivered me out of alcoholism, addictions, drugs, broken marriages, broken families, busted finances, and you've brought me to where I am today. And more importantly, you're the sovereign Lord of my future, and I know that my eternity is set in you. I get a new heaven and a new earth. I get an eternal relationship with God and the people around me. And because of that, guess what? I'm going to make it. It's not going to be based on my portfolio or my bank account. I'm going to be faithful to you because you are faithful to me. And I'm going to rejoice in who you are and what you're doing. You know, the only way you can do that is you do as Paul said, is you give yourself first to God before you give your stuff. Because when you've done that, wow, the other is easier. Listen to what Paul says, First, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. See, we, sometimes we think that just growing in our faith and knowledge of God is enough. Paul doesn't say that. He says, but since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled in you, you guys are good. Uh, but then he adds this caveat. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. The gift of giving. See, some of you here, you probably don't even know you have the gift of giving because you've never done that. And the Lord would lovingly crowd you this morning and say, it's time to step up. See, the best illustration of this is say you're on a little desert island with your family. You're out of water, and you're looking for water. 
All of a sudden, you come to this pump, and there's a big bucket of water there. And the sign says this, if you'll just pour this water into the pump, it'll prime it, and it will have a steady flow of water so you can have plenty for yourself, and then just keep using it to prime the pump. Keep filling the bucket up. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a tough decision to make, isn't it? And do I drink it or do I prime it? What if it doesn't work? What if this one bucket is enough? What if it takes two? And for some of us, what I'm talking about today, to give sacrificially, change your lifestyle a little bit, to give joyfully, it's just as difficult as doing that. But I want to tell you, I believe God will give you a stream and he'll fill your buckets. Oh, you won't be rich, but you'll learn how to deal with life and steward your life. I tell you this all the time. Whenever I talk about money, the first tithe check I ever wrote, $37 and some odd cents to the penny. I was 18 years old, and that stinker bounced three times. Probably cost me more in bank fees than it did just to, but I've done that since I was 18. Didn't even understand it. And I'll tell you what, I'm not rich. But I'm blessed. And I can trust God. I want to challenge you to do the same. I want you to see what you have done as a great church. Kind of like what Paul was talking about, and you gave generously. And I never want us to lose that. But this is a video of uh, what we did with our harvest offering last year.
my tie, my hoodie. My denomination or my translation of the Bible. They just need Jesus. We can be passionate about what we believe. But we can't strap ourselves to the gospel. Because we're slowing it down. Jesus is going to save the world. But maybe the best thing we can do is just get out of the way. 